Watson. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast. We'll be looking back at Sunday's victory against the Raiders as Deshaun puts this team on his back in the fourth for the team to go 5-3. and three. We're getting ready for the trip across the pond as London's calling. We're joined by a very special guest before we preview the Take It On The Jags at Wembley Stadium. Absolutely delighted to be joined by one of Houston's finest. Um, this guy is the truth when it comes to reporting on your Texans. Um, from Radio 610 and com. Pat D. Stat, Patrick Starr, how are you? Good, how are things going? Good man, getting ready for this game this week. So uh, it's quite strange to only get a four-hour train journey rather than uh, a nine-hour flight to go and watch the Texans. So uh, we'll see how we go and... Uh, yeah, we wish wish could have made it, but you know how it goes. Uh, life, kids, and all those other things. So I'm kind of glad. It was kind of interesting to see that they actually got a game in in uh, your neck of the woods, so to speak. And you know, after what's well, the second international game, and it's going to be interesting uh, how they deal with it. I think that's the big the big thing. Most of all is how they're going to deal with it. They're flying uh, Thursday after practice. They have one two practices in Houston. They're flying and. Bill O'Brien doesn't seem too worried about any of all that extra stuff because he feels like their plane that they're getting on is more than capable of handling uh, uh, the situation. Of course, people are worried about jet lag and things like that, but I don't know. You you probably have a better sense on how the jet lag works and things like that. Of course, you're not playing a football game, but I don't know how you feel about the jet lag. Yeah, I mean, it, it can take it out of you um, for sure. I think when it's only a five or six hour um time difference um it's not too bad i think when you go to the west coast i think that's where you really feel it um just from experience but uh but yeah i think it's it's i i saw a bit of criticism on on twitter of the approach i think o'brien said he did that when he was at new england and it, they were happy with it um but it's one of these things i think it's if you don't acclimatize quickly then you know um and it, it could be an issue i mean i, I I don't know what you think's behind the slow start to this team so far, Pat, but certainly this season it's um, the team's not started well um, in the games we've played, and uh, it seems to be penalties, but then if you add jet lag into that kind of sluggish start, then might be up for a tough afternoon this Sunday. I think it's like anything with uh, the Texans. You have a thought process on how the game should start. Um, you know, the big, the big theme, you know, when you watch broadcast and you watch when they start attaching the things like, the issue, I mean, you realize the Texans have a lot of penalties, and then you realize they lead the league in pre-snap penalties and all those other things. And that's like one thing the Texans have always struggled with, um, so-called playing behind the sticks. You know, like when they get first down, they have a penalty. Next thing you know, it's like first and 20 or first and whatever. That's some of the problems that they've been having is these pre-snap penalties, getting themselves in terrible situations. When the Texans can make it, second and five, second and four, third and three, that's when they're at their best, when they actually can run positives. Because for the most part, they stay out of negative plays for the most part. Uh, what kills them are those pre-snap penalties, and I think that you know fits into some of those things too. And personally, I might be a little bit harder on Deshaun Watson himself. Now, Deshaun Watson is having probably one of the better seasons of any quarterback in the NFL. I read something yesterday. He actually – leads the NFL in total touchdowns for a quarterback 
the thing with Deshaun, he takes time to get warmed up. And once he gets everything clicking, maybe that's from what the defense is throwing at him. Maybe he get just getting a feel for the game. I just think him himself is a slow starter because this offense and the Texans himself run off of Deshaun Watson. I think that's no secret on how this whole thing works. I mean, it, since he's come into the league, this team has figured out that he's the one that makes this this engine go. And it's no different than any other team across the league that has a top five quarterback. And I think Deshaun Watson is easily in, in that territory, in my opinion now. And that's the type of team the Texans are now. They'll always have a chance because of Deshaun Watson. And their slow starts are predicated on uh, poor throws or uh, penalties. But I think that's just the nature of the beast. Everyone wants to see them score and do all those other things. And uh, they do. Uh, the Texans have been in every football game. As easy as they are 5-3 and three right now, they could be 7-1. and one. They've been in every game. The only game that I really think that they did not play well was the Carolina Panther game. Uh, and... I think that they're just a new age team now. I think that they've kind of grown up as a franchise, grown up as a team. They're every team that we've seen before that when you watch the Packers or you watch the pre not this year's Patriots team because they're manhandling terrible teams defensively, but they're teams that you look at where the quarterback is winning the football game. And that's kind of what the Texans are now. And their slow start going back to that is just, to me, just Deshaun Watson just trying to get warmed up. Yeah, I think I think from a, a fan's point of view, it's been a bit of an evolution of, of a, and a journey, really, because historically the Texans, the entire time I've watched them since back in 2011, have always been a, a defense first team, and and you know, you know, m- multiple pass rushers, good, you know, good linebackers, a real kind of strength of the team was play hard defense, and and uh, that that win you championships. That was the adage, but I think the league's changed a lot. Um, you know, in the last few years, without the influx of these new quarterbacks, and we're starting to see that. And I think we're lucky we've got a real one under center. I think. What do you? I know Pat, you sort of talked about earlier in the season that Deshaun was at a crossroads in terms of his maturation, in terms of his like situational awareness that he shows. You know, pre-snap um, and certainly post-snap. I think this season we've seen a big development where he's sort of coaching the receivers. There's been a couple of times where there's obviously been an option route and they've, they've probably ran the wrong one in his opinion based on the coverage and he's sitting there coaching it after and telling them what route they should have ran and it seems like you know that he's becoming a much more complete quarterback in year three. Well, it's funny that you say that because it's something I always talk to about Claire when I you know she's not only like she's like not only the pod co-host for us and she's like my best friend and everything else like that but something we talk about often with Deshaun Watson is that people don't realize not only what happens on the field for them but off the field all the obligations they have because when you're an NFL quarterback so an example so when a lot of people were ready to get Deshaun Watson and this is kind of playing into your question like when Deshaun Watson came into the league Um, everybody was ready for him to start right away. But what comes with that is all the obligations that come with it. And what I mean by that is that when you're a starting quarterback for an NFL team, not only do you have to deal with what's going on the field, preparing and all those other things, but you have to understand how the flow of life outside of the game happens. So that means like what's your week look like 
in the locker room with the media. Deshaun Watson meets with the media every Wednesday. And then you throw in, if you watch like Fox or CBS, whatever, or ESPN or NFL Network, what all the if they come into town and they want to interview with Deshaun Watson, they're pretty much obligated to put him on TV because you know he's the face of the franchise. Any good publicity is great publicity for the franchise, and that's kind of what you want. And so all of that plays into it too. And I think that's part of the the balancing act that quarterbacks and a lot of players have in the NFL, how to deal with the success that you're getting, getting your name on TV, because not only does that stuff on TV come with endorsements and all those other things, but you also have a game to play, which is what we're worried about mainly, right? So I, I think that's the big thing with Deshaun Watson. And I think as we're going into this, he's only, what, 31 games into his NFL career. That's still not a lot, but it's a good picture to see what Deshaun Watson is. And I think that's part of what Deshaun Watson this year uh, for me is that teams have always played him interestingly, in my opinion. Um, So last year during the wild card game, uh, the Colts, the Panthers this year and the Jaguars early, Um, they all played him uh, to they all Deshaun Watson, as you know, can light it up in a hurry. I think against the Saints, they had two passes in less than 30 seconds to cover 75 yards, given that late lead. Uh, Even against in the loss against um, uh, the Colts just as last week, they had two scoring drives that covered 70-plus yards in less than three minutes apiece. If you give Deshaun Watson any light, he's going to light you up. What teams have figured out is that if you try to make Deshaun Watson be patient, that he's going to struggle. And that's what the Colts did to him in the AFC uh, championship or in the AFC wildcard game. That's what the Panthers did. And that's what the Jaguars did. Having him dial down his aggressiveness is something that he's been balancing with. And that's what he did well against the Colts, even though they lost. That's what he did well against last week against uh, um, who did they play last week. I already forgot. They play last. The Raiders. There you go. And so you have teams that are literally trying to take away the deep ball. That's what they do well. They have some of the best deep ball receivers, in my opinion, in the league. They can send DeAndre Hopkins deep whenever they want to. Uh, We know Will Fuller, when he's healthy, is probably the best deep ball player. And Kenny Stills can do it, too. But teams have figured out, like you said, that to – Make Deshaun Watson Watson impatient is to force him uh, to get that trigger finger to just let's go downfield and make this happen. Uh, and that's the biggest maturation that I've seen from him is that I've seen him grow to say, you know what, we don't have to get it every every big throw. Right? It's almost what death by a thousand cuts is that what they call it or whatever the saying is. That's pretty much what he's been doing these past couple of weeks and. You're seeing an offense that's growing up, and it started against the Kansas City Chiefs. He took those little two- or three-yard throws to Aikens and Fells, and they just start eating up yards. And then all of a sudden, they start worrying about those guys, and DeAndre Hopkins comes open and all those other things. It all works together. And I think that's the big thing is that Deshaun Watson's starting to figure out where he fits into this. And part of this thing, a lot of people were pointing fingers at the offensive line. Yes, the offensive line had huge issues 
from a personnel standpoint, from a physical standpoint, from guys that just weren't physically able to hold up against the pass rush. But Deshaun Watson was very much responsible for a lot of those quarterback hits, a lot of those sacks that were happening because he just wouldn't get rid of the football. This season, I've seen him change in that light, too, where, okay, top of my drop, I got to get rid of the football. Oh, I better not take this extra hit for no reason. You're seeing a quarterback that's growing. And the discussion at the beginning of the year that we all had, and you probably had, what are they going to do about the offensive line? That's no longer a discussion because it's not really an issue. So I think that's the big thing, in my opinion, for the Texans, is that you're seeing a Deshaun Watson that is that has always known what to do. You're seeing him grow as a quarterback in terms of not taking extra hits, understanding what's happening pre-snap. And this is the things that 10 years from now, we'll still be talking about a healthy Deshaun Watson because he's helping himself out now and not doing what he did last year, trying to run through four Dallas Cowboys at the goal line because that's not a, a battle he's going to win. And that's how you end up on a bus driving to Jacksonville with a punctured lung, uh, making uh, poor decisions like that. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I was I was relatively close to the front in, uh, in NRG against the, the Cowboys, and there was one hit, I think it was uh, Leighton Van Der Esch laid on him at the goal line, and you could hear it in the stand, and it was, <laughs> and it, it, you know, albeit we won in overtime, but there was a bit of a concern, I think we were walking out that night, that, you know, is this guy going to last as good as he is um, in the league? But I think the 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 breadth and options that, or the breadth of options that he's been able to incorporate in the offense, particularly uh, a guy like Darren Fells, who's having a career year and has been a real kind of plus free agent for this team, and he's you know he, he notched up another two touchdowns this weekend, and Aitkins, I think he's probably have a game to forget, but certainly you know the the tight ends, and hopefully um, if Cleve's favorite. Um, if if Jordan Thomas can come back off IR as well at some point, then I think you know that's another option to to add in, and that doesn't even you know start to even consider Kahali Wailing and potentially give him a year to develop. So I think the the short passing game that he's he's woken up to now, rather than trying to hit the the home run ball every time, is 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 a you know is a big thing for his longevity, particularly you know, with Duke Johnson as well coming in. He's, <clears throat> He, he's starting to find he's starting to find them with his checkdowns now, and um, and it's it's hopefully it's going to add some years to his career, and it's certainly helping us sustain drives. But I mean, I think that's the issue, and that's probably the concern. Pat, it's just that the when the offense is going, it's good, um, but but it's not been consistent enough with penalties and drives stalling out with uh, you know with with mental errors early in games, and then as we saw on Sunday against Oakland, you know when it was time to. When it was time to go, and there was at that point Tunsil's out, and we've got Dan Skipper and uh, and Chris Clark returned as the two tackles on that one in drive. He manages to get kicked in the face and still and still find fells in the end zone to win as a game, which actually for the vast majority of majority of it we weren't really in. Um, just as the similar to it was the week before against the Colts, where we just never quite got into the game, and I think that's potentially the concern. I think or the or the positive on the flip side of that is if we can play a sixty-minute football game. Then I think we're you know we're we're a, we're a team to be reckoned with, but I think the leads us on to the, probably the biggest story of 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 the weekend was the loss of JJ and uh, and and the impact that that's going to have on this defense. How Romeo's going to you know manufacture pressures? I don't know. What do you think the the future for this pass rush for twenty nineteen Texans are without obviously the the leader and quarterback hits to this point in the season? Well, you know, there's two ways to look at it. As you know, J.J. Watt led the NFL in quarterback hits with 20. I think he was like 
had 43, over 43% of all the quarterback hits for the defense. Now, there's two ways to look at it. Um, you know, before they had the uh, the safety net of Jadavian Clowney and Whitney Merciless to take over at the end spot. So, oh, hey, they can get over it. Of course, we know that there's no more Jadavian Clowney. It's just Whitney Merciless. So now they're going to have to get creative in the sense they're going to have to bring someone in. We'll figure out who that is probably later on today. Uh, they'll have to sign someone before they take off to uh, London. But, you know, they're going to have to depend on Brennan Scarlett. They're going to have to depend on Barkevius Mingo, who's been limited in snaps. Uh, Jacob Martin, who I like, he's a little bit on the smaller side. I think that's part of the reason why they don't play him as much. But we know he can get after the quarterback, so they have to be careful how they use him. He definitely has to be on the edge. Um, who else is out there? Uh, Scarlett, uh, Charles Amenahu. And then, um, as we said, Merciless, Martin, Mingo, Scarlet. Yeah, that's pretty much it. But, okay, so I've been thinking about this. J.J. Watt is like, um, they have to account for him at all times, right? They have to account for what he's doing. And so you're going to shift blocking his way, double team him, make sure you know where he's at, all that other stuff. But the big thing for me, in my opinion, is, is that maybe, just maybe, and I'm usually I'm optimistic with things like this, no J.J. Watt will leave the offense wondering, okay, where's the pressure coming from? Because you know where Watt is, you know what you have to handle, but now with nobody really there, you might be able to just... Uh, get creative, run some stunts, uh, put maybe faster players out there. I don't know. Um, because the Texans defense is going to have to get creative on how they're going to make this work. I think that's the big thing is that nobody's going to replace J.J. Watt. Nobody's going to replace his production. The only thing I can think about now is that the teams, teams themselves, starting with Jacksonville on uh, Sunday morning, well, Sunday morning for us, but – they are literally going into this game blind defensively on how the Texans are going to play their front because there's no JJ. So who's going to step into his place? How are they going to do it? Of course they can go back and look at film, see how they looked without JJ, but they still have Clowney. Then they still have merciless. So there's some uncharted territory here for opposing offenses to look at this Texans defense without any true big name pass rusher, Watt or Clowney. Of course, they have Merciless. He's, he's you know, they've kind of neutralized him after they figured out, hey, we can't do what we've been doing against him. But I think that's kind of where I'm at with this. I've got to wait and see how they make this happen. Uh, because my guess is that they're going to have some things that we probably haven't seen before, have some personnel packages we haven't seen before, which is a positive. And, um, I'm kind of interested. I, this is the part of the game that I like the most. I hate injuries. I think injuries are the worst thing that can happen uh, for NFL players, but that's the nature of the beast because it's a physical game. I mean, there's plenty of times after games where I've seen players with torn ACLs. and all, I mean, it's a real thing out there. I mean, this is this is a violent sport. But the big thing, too, for me is that this is what makes the game what it is. How are they going to address it? How are they going to do it? We'll see if they can turn a negative into a positive, but 
to me, I think it's kind of a flip of a coin. How are they going to address it? The Jaguars are going into this game. And look, the Jaguars are in their own. Uh, I might be jumping the gun. But to me, I think the Texans offense is in a really good place. No matter what their offensive tackle situation is, Tunsil should be ready to play. They called his shoulder injury minor. But no Jalen Ramsey is a plus for the Texans. I think that they are in a great spot. Jalen Ramsey gives them so many fits. Now no Jalen Ramsey. I think that they'll be way more comfortable in the passing game. That's how good I think Jalen Ramsey is, that he's that good to uh, slow them. So I think that this is actually a, a game that's playing into the Texans' favor going in uh, to Sunday. Yeah, I mean, going back to the the defense here, I think there was a <clears throat> the road game I took in this year was at Kansas City, and there was a play where Jacob Martin was chasing down Mahomes, and you know the guy can go, um, so he's not very polished in, at the point of attack, but he's but he's certainly got some options. So Romeo will definitely be earning that paycheck this week, and probably for the next eight games. Uh, of the season and to, to find out if this team can you know jump ahead of the Colts and and uh, and, and uh, take the take the AFC South because you know I think we have to have that that home that home game. I don't want to go in as a second place wild card if you know if, if that's the if that's the ceiling for this team. I think on the pertaining to Sunday Pat in terms of Ramsey, I think in the games that we've played against him historically he's been a, a big issue for us and in terms of the. Uh, the ability to to blanket Hopkins and Hopkins has had his plays against them, but but certainly that just freed freed them up on the back end in so many ways to to, to you know to change the coverage and and blend blend between man and zone and and, and give uh, give the Jags a lot of flexibility now with that with that being lost I think and and former Texan AJ Boye will be the the only yeah the only probably main cover guy on the end and they're relatively inexperienced at safety. And with Telvin Smith, who was their leader on defense, you know, has taken a year off or, or whatever his deal is. So I think definitely this is set up, you know, for a, a good offensive performance on Sunday, just in terms of the players can can cope with the uh, with the with the travel and, and, and time. And hopefully it doesn't uh, flare up any injuries with the, the transatlantic uh, travel on an airplane. Well, luckily they have a bye week after that. So th this is kind of like a finish line for a finish line for them. So that's a. That's a positive, in my opinion, for them. Uh, but you hit the nail on the head in that sense. I think uh, Deshaun Watson has had, I think, five or six games where he's been a sub-60% passer. Three of those have come against Jacksonville, uh, which is pretty eye-opening. To me, I think that that kind of speaks to what you were talking about, how good Jalen is. Jalen can just lock up Hopkins, and they can do so many different things on the backside defensively um, that – you know, they can mix and match coverages while you just put Ramsey on Hopkins. Look, because Hopkins is the lifeline life to this offense. You saw these past two weeks when the Texans, the Texans try to get cute and they try to be, you know, kind of play within the system. But when they need things to happen, what do they do? They go to Hopkins. This past year or past two games, I think before this, he's kind of had some okay games. I think he's had 19 catches the past two games or 20 catches for over 200 yards. So he can turn it up in a hurry. They were able to slow him with Ramsey, and this offense kind of starts sputtering because there's no – that's not his – they they put the game in the hands of guys like Will Fuller, things like that. Kenny Stills will help out with that too. He At the time when they played the Jaguars, he wasn't around very long. I think that's the game he hurt his hamstring in. No, he hurt it in, in Carolina. Stills was only here for two weeks when they played uh, – Jacksonville the first time. I'm bouncing around, I know. Uh, 
But my point is, is that the Texans, in my opinion, are in a good spot because now I don't think A.J. Bouye is good enough to to check DeAndre Hopkins one on one. Then you start leaving some other things open. I think Kenny Stills is is better than what people give him credit for. I think that there's a lot of big things up front uh, going on for the Texans. Texans are going to have to throw the football. I don't think that they'll be able to run the football efficiently against uh, Jacksonville. They never have just because how fast Jacksonville is at the linebacker spot. And especially at right tackle with no Titus Howard, Chris Clark has been, I mean, Chris Clark, goodness gracious. I mean, they're just trying to get through this stretch with him, uh, with Deshaun Watson in one piece. He was suspect. He was like a road bump, a speed bump. Uh, last game. Uh, but for me, I think that's the big thing. They want to do everything off the, you know, running the football. I think that's why you've seen some of the uh, uptick in Duke Johnson on the field, because they know that they've got to throw the football. They have to. And I think that's why, because of the offensive line, they that's how good Titus Howard is now uh, with running the football. Uh, so, I think the Texans are in a good spot offensively. Of course, this is they're in a good spot defensively too. I mean, Jacksonville's not lighting one up on anyone up on fire. Uh, they can handle the run. I, I'm not worried about the Texans' rush defense without JJ Watt. I think they can find guys, bump Angelo Blackson out, bump DJ Reader out to where he would be. All those other things. The problem is, is going to be that pass rush. I, I think this game is a little more even than what it has been in uh, with missing their two biggest stars. I think Hopkins, going back to him, his, his numbers are probably down, I think, because there's only so many passes to go around and, you know, and a lot of a lot of mouse, you know, wanting to be fed in the passing game. And I think particularly the, the way they've managed to kind of extend the running game, if you like, with these rollouts to the right and these quick quick outs and quick dump off passes into the flat has, has really been a, a quite a nice nuance, I think, to the offense and Hopkins seems to, to to be able to get his fair share as well as the tight ends when they sort of roll that play out. The probably the criticism I think sometimes with the offense at O'Brien is and it was particularly I think it was a fourth down call against in, in Indy two weeks ago. Um, and they ran I think the exact same play that they'd ran on fourth down against Kansas City, but just from the other side. And so I think the albeit O'Brien's kind of, you know, put good wrinkles into the offense. I mean, they had some interesting looks at the weekend with playing the two tight ends uh, at kind of H-back positions and kind of going a sort of max protect look to try and, uh, to try and you know, compensate for Titus Howard because I think since he's gone out of this team, we've seen what a good pickup he was. You know, I think a lot of fans were in the Andre Dillard camp and uh, but since we brought in tons, I moved him over to the right and the games he played, he looked really good and he was doing some good things in the pass, pass and the run game. So, it was good, I think, talking about uh, just going back to Sunday, Pat, in terms of uh, Kiki Cutie's lack of involvement in the offence um, seems to have made his way into O'Brien's doghouse, which is notoriously hard to get out once you're in there. What do you think's behind that? Because I, I don't think he's, he's he's been inconsistent, but no more so than you'd expect from a young player like that. The only thing I could think about is that he possibly could have been on the trade block. Uh, you don't sit there, especially with an offence that, Look, despite how bad things can be, even when QT got back at the beginning of his injury, he still got snaps. The fact that DeAndre Carter got all the snaps makes me think that they were preserving him just in case. I'll be interested to see how it rolls out accordingly. Because after the game, Bill O'Brien, you can usually, I mean, been covering him since he arrived. You can usually get a good feel for how he 
feels about certain players. When he was asked about this at the end of the game, he didn't seem too, what do you call it, worried about it, didn't seem too upset about it. Because usually you can tell when he has enough of something. Maybe like when they were asking him about Matt Khalil, all camp, that's when he's had enough. And you start seeing it, you start seeing it seeping out a little bit. When he starts calling you a good teammate and all those other things, that, that's like the kiss of death. Because that, you know, when you hear him talk about good players, you know, he'll say he's a good player. For me, I think that this was just where they were at. Just being careful with him, making sure that they don't push him too hard, um, making sure that that's what I think it is, in my opinion. Um, I'm not too worried about it in the sense that, you know, the doghouse or anything like that, because it's hard to see someone that got all the snaps the week before and get zero before. Now, if DeAndre Carter comes out and plays all the snaps against Jacksonville, then we can reconvene and say, okay, now he's in the doghouse. But it, it just didn't feel like it was anything overly crazy. And, and Pat, what did you think of the um, the, the Hopkins rumours? I, I, I sort of kind of dismissed it as oh, teams will call and they'll put the phone down, but I saw uh, Albert Breer do a kind of extended segment on the Rich Eisen show, you know, and, and talked talked at length about how he received a text back, you know, earlier in the year from a, from a GM or a, a front office exec um, after all the after all the trade moves and, and he, he read it out that um, he said, watch the space, Hopkins will be next. Do you think there's anything in that I mean it makes I mean Rich Eisen's retort was it makes absolutely no sense from a Texans football point of view but do you think there's anything in that or can we just dismiss it you can dismiss it because I mean what was it It, when the Texans before the Texans signed Hopkins to his extension that's when the Patriots came knocking and this was during the 4 and 12 season when everything went belly up and Bill O'Brien's uh what third year before they got Hopkins. This was the Osweiler year or whatever year. I can't remember. Hoyer, Osweiler, it all runs together. Uh, The Patriots tried to trade for Hopkins at that point, and the Texans said no. So if the Texans are not willing to trade him at one of their worst times, they're not going to trade him at one of their best times. And the way they feel about Hopkins inside that building, they're not going to do it. They know that he's the moneymaker. They know that he is, like I said, the lifeline to Deshaun Watson. And there's no reason to move on from him, in my opinion. So I think that's the big thing uh, for this all is that I think that's a good rule of thumb in all this, right? If you sit back at home and you're sitting at your water cooler at work or at your desk at the computer, if you have a <laughs> if you have a trade for a player, i.e. like Hopkins pops in your head and you hear about it and it makes zero sense, then that's probably a good fundamental start for yourself like okay it's hard to believe this it's probably not real i mean yeah that's certainly that was my inclination i think you know the the lot the logic approach would be you don't trade away franchise pieces but uh we saw that earlier in the season with a, a trade which i know pat you you were one of the first if not the first to break the news when and Clowney was out the door and that you know to me i still kind of scratching my head at that and had to sort of apologize to some of the nearest and dearest that uh that weekend based on my reaction to it so i think Sometimes, you know, with, with with Bill being in the hot seat um, as the de facto GM, you know, I, I think sometimes you, probably that's the inclination that that, um, that rings in your head that potentially you can't rule, a, rule anything out um, while he's in charge. Well, the, the 
the clowny situation had everything to do with the financials, everything. Uh, no matter how they felt about each other, no matter how they didn't feel about each other, this came down to finances. Uh, this came down to what Jadavian Clowney and Buzz Cook thought he was worth, and this is what the Texans thought he was worth. And when they figured out that no matter what happened, no matter what the discussions were, the financials were never going to match, there was no reason to keep moving forward. And yes, there is reason to look back now like, dang, you know, if they'd have Jadavian Clowney, we, the Texans defense would be okay. But at that point, you know, the Texans wanted him in camp. They wanted him to show up. That's kind of how it was set up to be. But Jadavian Clowney never came. And so the Texans kind of felt like that was, a, uh, you know, a, a point of like no return. Like, you know, are you going to be with us or are you not? And yes, a lot of this has to do with, yes, the Texans could have thrown him money. Now, remember, Jadavian Clowney's side turned down two contract extensions prior to all this happening. So there's been over two and a half years of negotiations before this happening. So, I mean, it is what it is, and it, it moved on. You hate to see it, but, you know, Jadavian Clowney is not really lighting Seattle on fire. And despite how many times you can see these metrics of, oh, he's beating these pass win rush rate and 75% all this stuff he's still doing exactly what he did in Houston he's almost the sack guy he's almost making plays and that's kind of what happened here the Texans figured out if they pay Jadavian Clowney they'll be losing these very important players at other positions that they need to keep mainly they want to pay Deshaun Watson they want to pay DJ Reader they want to pay Zach Cunningham they want to find a way to keep Will Fuller and you got to make business decisions. And Jadavian Clowney's contract was not in the business moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it's a business at the end of the day. And it's, uh, it was, you know, I think, I think certainly when you watch Clowney live, he certainly passed the eye test. And I think you're right, though. And that was the problem was when, and probably why the, the variance and, and commercials came into it was because that he was the almost guy. And I saw a quote from uh, Pete Carroll saying he feels like he's almost about to break out. And, you know, I, I sort of had a bit of a wry smile reading that because, you know, we had sort of five years of almost, you know, and, and injuries. So um, he would have been certainly a, a piece potentially that they could have just said, look, you're playing under the franchise tag this year. Uh, but with him not being in camp, then I think that was a real, a real, a real swinger in, uh, in the decision. So, I mean, sad to see him going. We could have done with him this, this season, certainly. But talking of ex-Texans and, and, and just touching on the game again, upcoming Sunday, um, certainly looks like the, the Jags have got an issue covering tight ends and uh, some some guy called Ryan Griffin scored two touchdowns against him at the weekend. So it certainly looks like there's a potential for uh, Fells and Aitkins to be involved in the, in the passing attack on Sunday. Yeah, if Ryan Griffin's lighting you up. That bodes well for the tight end position. I promise you that. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's all going to be. Deshaun Watson just has to target the tight end group. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, Finally, they're putting them into the game plan. No, Deshaun Watson's finally throwing to them. Uh, he's getting, um, he is finally getting used to, comfortable with trusting other players outside of Hopkins. Uh, Will Fuller's no longer there, so sometimes you say injuries force players out of their comfort zone sometimes. And that's kind of what's happening to Deshaun Watson. He's lost players that he's, trusted over the years Lamar Miller's not there Alfred Blue's not there all of his tight ends are gone uh, from previous seasons so it's kind of a, a 
a new realm for him. And you got to remember, most of this offense was kind of new. I mean, had two new running backs plus Kenny Stills plus, you know, Jordan Akins wasn't a primary tight end last year. And Darren Fells was new. So literally six of his, you know, five, six of his skill guys out there are brand new. So there is some trust issues throughout the season. You go to other guys, and now he's finally getting it. I think that p- plays part into it uh, for Deshaun Watson. But I, you know, Darren Fells, he's been like you said earlier in the show. He has been absolutely something else uh, for the most part. One year deal. I imagine that they'll do everything they can to bring him back because he does a little bit of everything. Uh, he's one of the hu- largest humans I've ever met up close. He's uh, six seven, about two seventy seven, two eighty, and he may not. I mean, he's faster than me. Let's get that out there. But compared to everyone else, uh, he's just like a, a, a tall offensive tackle out there uh, that's just more athletic than your linebacker and safety. And um, he's probably their best tight end they've had since the start of the Bill O'Brien era, and I don't think it's close. Yeah, we had a. Brief spell of CJ Fedorovitz and had to, uh, you know, retire unfortunately with concussions as he seemed to be developing. But um, he was Osweiler's favourite target for a, for a season. But um, certainly fells the the touchdown he got against Atlanta, the second one of the game when he just sort of held it above the safety's head and just showed his you know his physical stature as well as his his technique as well. You can see that in some of the ways he gets open just with his basketball background and. Um, similar to what Andre Johnson used to be really good at, it's just using his body to get open and not necessarily having to beat people with pace. Um, he's been a, a great, a great weapon for Deshaun, and I think it's exactly that. Pat is Deshaun trusting other guys rather than Hopkins and, and not being so you know kind of one dimensional and locking onto receivers will be a big uh, you know a, a, a big part of this offense. You know if we can really kind of start to play sixty minutes. And in terms of uh, Gardner Minshew, Pat, what's your kind of take on him? I think you I mean he's. We saw him in the first game and he sort of broke contain a couple of times and scrambled, but bar that, he didn't really have any throws. He, he sort of found Chris Connolly, the free agent he picked up from the Chiefs and um, on Sunday for a sort of 70-yard touchdown when he almost looked like he was about to be sacked by, I think it was I think it was uh, Jamal Adams, so uh, the former LSU guy. Um, it was just about traded, I think, <laughs> um, yesterday, but... Um, but in terms of his pocket presence, I think and his scramble ability, it's definitely caused a threat to this Texas unit. But as you said, I don't know what kind of front we're going to roll out on Sunday. Guard Minshew is a volatile player, in my opinion, in terms of he's really good or really bad uh, in terms of completing passes. I think that it's um, you just don't know what you're going to get. Of course, the Texans can make a lot of quarterbacks look very good. Um, you know, last week, I was on another podcast. I kind of predicted what was going to happen. The Raiders just do not take sacks. And that part of that is how their offense is built and how Derek Carr gets the ball out on time. Guard Minshew is a little bit of the opposite, holds the football. Texans will have a chance to get to him uh, to make, to get hits on him. And I think that's the big thing is that they've just got to continue to um, mix up coverages. Uh, Tashawn Gibson is, uh, not expected to play uh, this week, so they'll probably roll out Mike Adams. Jaleel will die again, uh, which is uh, hopefully enough to get him through this one. Uh, Gary on Conley, Jonathan Joseph is expected to be back. We'll see what uh, Lonnie Johnson's uh, health is moving forward. With his concussion situation, that's a concern with the long trip. So we'll find out pretty quick if Lonnie Johnson is even going to be in this game because – 
I would doubt, highly doubt, they want Lonnie Johnson flying if he's in concussion protocol. That's just my two cents. I don't know if that's wise, you know, uh, one way or the other. But with that said, I think that getting Jonathan Joseph back will help. As many people are ready to, to write him off, getting Jonathan Joseph out there instead of Keon Crossan or someone else will help them because it's just another reliable player that's not going to get beat, that knows what to do. I think that's the thing. You always always look at this in that sense, too. Do you, Being so versed, being a veteran, understanding what's going on can trump, can overtake athleticism and youth any day of the week. And I think that's what Jonathan Joseph gives you, just way more comfort level uh, in terms of things. Of course, everybody focuses on like the one big play they give up or anything like that. But ultimately, you know, you if you take all those 15 chances before that, maybe he cuts off a route, maybe he does those things. Those are things you do not see. Uh, so, yeah, it's an interesting uh, situation uh, in terms. But the defense is going to have to win this one. They're going to have to slow down uh, Gardner Minshew. They're going to start by slowing down Leonard Fournette. But most of all, I think that this this is a game. They're all must-win games. We're, we're not fooling anyone, but it would be really it'd be really a positive if they find a way to pull this one out going into uh, the bye week. I think the bye week probably can't come soon enough, really. I think in terms of we touched on Titus Howard, I don't know if Bradley Roby will be ready to go. Pat, I think in terms of. Well, the the classic Texans hamstring injury that we seem to keep uh, repeating uh, constantly. Um, if if a if a nine hour plane plane ride will be, you know, helpful to that situation, I don't know. But Roby's been another you know good free free agent addition to this team, and you've noticed the the difference in the in in the pass coverage when he's went out. I think Keon Crossan actually in this in the defensive snaps that he's been given has actually been relatively a plus I think even unfortunately Philip Gaines who we picked up on the street actually had a reasonable game as the as the game went on against the Colts but then you know just that the the collective injuries in the secondary and, and certainly the Raiders went after Mike Adams when he came on the field last week particularly on that uh, rollout to the Darren Waller's touchdown so I think it's going to be difficult as you said it's this winning this game is potentially a real season definer because we can't really afford to, to drop another divisional game after the Colts one there and then after getting it in and hopefully if we could just scrape out a win however means that is possible um, to then go into the bye and try and get this team healthy for for the last uh, for the last run because after the bye we've got a kind of real strong or a real hard stretch of games I think if you think we've got to travel to Baltimore who are travelling you know are, 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 are playing well on the road and at home and um, you know, Lamar Jackson seems to be, have found a way to be a bit more consistent in the passing game. We've then got the Colts on a short week on a Thursday night. We've got a bit of a mini buy, and then we've got the visit of uh, New England. So that that three game stretch is, is you know is, is not necessarily automatics by any stretch. Not at all. Not at all. That's why this one plays a big one because the Texans are going to have to find a way to at least win one of those three coming out of the buy. Uh, to be in a good shape because their last four games are winnable, especially with two, the last two against the Titans. I forget who else is in there too, but uh, Tampa, Tampa Bay. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that and Denver. Yeah. So I think that they're in a good spot. They just got to win one of those three coming. Of course, optimals win two of the three, but they've got to at least get one out of that coming out of the bye. They got to win two of their next four to put, set themselves up in good position. And it starts with the one 
on uh, Sunday. Because, look, going into the season, if you if someone told you the Texans were going to be five, five and three at the halfway point, I think anyone would have taken that, especially with some of the quarterbacks they had on the schedule, because that's all you heard is, oh, the quarterbacks this year, oh, the quarterbacks this year. Um, so I think that the Texans are actually exceeding my expectations a little bit than what I thought they would be. So um, we'll see how it rolls. Yeah, I, mean, I had them pegged as 10 wins, I thought, in terms of strength of schedule. But as we know, this league changes in a hurry. If you don't think anybody would have thought, you know, Atlanta would have been a 50-point win at home. Um, and certainly I didn't really have us go to Kansas City and, uh, in, you know, Knocking off a, a Super Bowl favorite in their own in their own uh, building, so it's been a it's been a strange season in that sense. I think we've had two games, particularly like you touched on earlier, the Carolina game, which we'll probably want back. And uh, when it's all said and done, just like the Philadelphia game last year was similar to that. So hopefully, um, we can start off with a win on Sunday, and then as you said, we've got a, a stretch of you know three tough games and then four winnable ones. Um, to close out the season. So, Pat, where do you see the ceiling for this team? I know you've said before, and rightly so, is it starts and ends with Deshaun Watson and how far he can take it. But what do you think the ceiling is and or best-case scenario that we can hope for in 2019? You know, it's tough because I think their defense is, is in a really rough spot. And, it's, and part of it was just how Brian Gain and Bill O'Brien, their vision before the season for this defense – now, I might be kind of off on this in a sense, but this is what I believe and how I understand it, is that you know, the moves that Bill O'Brien made prior to the start of the season happened accordingly because those were things that were not handled that the team thought should have been handled, if that makes sense. So he was kind of giving him the carte blanche to go handle it accordingly. Fix it, please. And so that's why you get Tunsil. That's why you get all those other things. So he was able to... You know, fill in some huge holes, so to speak, as best as they could. And they've helped, and nobody can say they haven't. My concern is the defense. My concern is the defense in terms of, you know, who are they going to stop? And that's where they're at. And their secondary has been banged up all year. And that's the the big one. And uh, as good as people feel to Sean Gibson has been, he hasn't been a difference maker for me. Uh, Justin Reed is kind of getting lost in the shuffle, and that's nothing to him because they're not going after him. They don't have to. Uh, their cornerbacks are giving up some of the most yards in the NFL, and until they get that group back, I can't really – it's hard to get a real adjustment on them because Bradley Roby was playing some good football until he got hurt against Kansas City, uh, and then you had Gary on Conley. I want to see that group. I want to see the Conley, Roby, Joseph, and Lonnie Johnson group together healthy. And we haven't we haven't gotten to that point. And I think that will make the biggest difference. And until we get that, it's really hard to feel. But as they're built right now, as they're built, as we're talking right now, I don't see that they're anything better than a wild card team uh, outside, you know, maybe winning the AFC South. But right now they are a playoff team, but I don't see them going any more than the AFC wild card game as they're built right now with all their injuries. Rick Smith always used to say that um, despite he's missing in, uh, his picks in middle rounds that you can never have enough pass rushes or corners and I know the uh, team's built in a very different way and you could argue it's deeper but it's certainly the complete opposite of that that vision because we're, we're short in probably the two most premium positions on defence. And That's the 
I, and I'm surprised that you brought that up because that was like one of Rick Smith's mantras that he would never, never let go. You always better have a bunch of corners and you better have a bunch of pass rushers in this league. And the two positions that they are struggling with the most, cornerback and pass rusher. And it's leaving them in some terrible spots right now. And it, it's kind of crazy. Uh, how this all plays out you can and, and I think that's like just the way the league's built too you've got to make decisions on how you feel like you need to address your team of course they felt like Deshaun Watson's health was priority number one which is fine we can all agree with that but to literally um you know look I'm probably one of the biggest Jadavian Clowney supporters out there I loved his game in Houston I liked how they used him I like how he fit into it. Uh, he was a perfect fit. I just didn't like how they used him, Merciless, and Watt together. But, you know, I even said it too. If they traded Clowney, I'm I'm really concerned if they're really worried about winning this season. Of course, the Tunsil trade kind of changed my opinion on that. But for me, the big thing for me is that, like you said, they have no they have no pass rush. Merciless can't do it by himself. And now they're in they're in deep trouble. And their season might be sunk because of it. Yes, Deshaun Watson will keep you in games, but they're going to have. I, I think the Texans had three incomplete, forced three incomplete passes the entire second half against Derek Carr. Two of them came on the final drive. Yes, they came at the right time, but that's unacceptable as a defense. That's way too many completions, and that's a concern. Uh, so we'll see how it goes, but you're right. Not enough cornerbacks, not enough uh, pass rush. We'll see how it plays out, but right now, as they're built, AFC wild, AFC wild card at best. Yeah, and that's the problem. I think trying to fill those positions now, as as, as we're reduced on the draft pick front, that f- as free agency goes, that you know those premium positions, just much like offensive line, they don't hit the market because the good ones don't you know, are not allowed to leave the building because the teams will lock them up. So it's going to be interesting to see how they address that because I think that is exactly right, Pat. Is that that's capping this team at the minute and some of the perhaps oversight of the, the front office and the change of front office with Brian Gain going out the door, etc. that that um it's 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 left us short. And I think, you know, as you said, Watson will keep us in games and he's gonna to have to do a lot and more of his heroics that we saw on Sunday to to keep this team in games when we come up against the, the powerhouses of the AFC, which actually looking at the numbers, I think really in the AFC at the minute only really looks like New England and then a second to them is Kansas City. As, as the main threats, but it's just going to be a matter of can the offence be consistent to, to, to eke out wins and the defence, can they just do enough to allow the offence a platform to go and, you know, to go and win games. But I think all a lot of our games, and similar to, to when Vrabel was in charge of the defence when uh, that season, albeit we had Clowney, but it just looked like no matter what the offence did in some games, particularly Watson's big breakout game in Seattle, which I know you were at as well, and I was there that day that, it just felt like whatever the offense did, it almost was irrelevant because we couldn't stop the other team on on offense. So um, just because we're just a bit short, so we'll see how we go. But um, Pat, thank you very much for your time, mate. I really appreciate uh, you coming on and joining us. Um, I hope, hope hopefully you'll be getting up early, setting the alarm to watch the the game on Sunday, and uh, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll come out with a victory, and um, hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Man, I appreciate you uh, having me on. Hopefully next time when I come to London, I'll make a trip out there and we can uh you can show me around and we can i don't know eat and drink and be merry or whatever they whatever the proper terms are 
<laughs> Excellent, Pat. Thanks for your time. All right, man. I appreciate you. And that was Pat Starr from stateofthetexas.com. Absolutely delighted he could join us. If you don't follow everything Pat does on the website and what him and the crew do on the podcast, I suggest you do because they are the best in Houston without a doubt. The trade deadline disappeared with no blockbuster trades to report. Leonard Williams, perhaps the biggest move, the first ever between the Jets and the Giants. A strange one at that, but certainly it's, his, uh, it's, it's a third and a fifth pick exchanging hands for a former top five pick. Perhaps it looks like Joe Douglas is, looks like he's going to clear out the Mike McCagney era with it within New York, and he moves over the hallway in uh, in East Rutherford. Akib Talib was positively broke Osweiler by the LA Rams sent and a fifth round pick in exchange for a 2021 late round pick. So certainly something uh, to watch there. Is is obviously the the Rams look like they're gearing up to to sign some major extensions. Jalen Ramsey in mind. Kenyon Drake was shipped off by the Dolphins to Arizona as they had a death of in- injuries at running back position, uh, and. Miami just continue to build these picks. It'll be interesting to see when the draft rolls round exactly what hole uh, they've got for them. Trent Williams stays in Washington after all that, despite holding out for the games. It's reported that Trent will not play, so it looks like an absolute gross mishandling of that situation. Certainly, I'm sure they, they would have got better than zero from the Texans if they had traded them prior to the Tunsil uh, deal, if, if it was an option, or potentially the Browns were interested, but no deal was to be done. The Jets seem to be shopping every player apart from Quinn and Williams and Sam Darnold. Jamal Adams was reported to be interested in either the Cowboys or the Baltimore Ravens in true Cowboys style. They made a big dog and pony show out of it, putting an article about it, which looks like on the verge of tampering, so we'll see anything comes to that. Uh, but, but certainly Jamal stays in New York for the time being unless he is next year's Jalen Ramsey where he's, he's traded out the door for a, for a ransom of picks. Around the division at the weekend, the Tennessee Titans led by former Aggie Ryan Tannehill uh, sparked a road victory despite the Zebras handing or, or somewhat removing seven points from the Tampa Bay scoreboard after a questionable call after a fumbled punt. The refs called it down. It looked like the play was still live, so a big swing there and a boost for for Mike Vrabel and, and the guys in Nashville there. The, the Jags handled the Jets last week as we touched upon earlier, but despite this loss, Marquise Lee, the wide receiver for the rest of the season, and the Colts managed to escape with a last-minute field goal from Adam Vinatieri uh, to, to beat the Denver Broncos at home. Now that leaves the AFC South as the only division in football where all four teams are above 500. Looking wider around the league, the LA Chargers have fired Offensive coordinator Ken Wisenhunt after an underwhelming season and a poor outing continues from the from Philip Rivers and Co. and look and coach Anthony Lynn obviously looking to make a change there and potentially provide a spark for a team which have underperformed to this point and are trailing in the division where everybody versus where everybody thought they would be. Uh, former Katy Texas high school legend Andy Dalton is reign in Cincinnati appears to be over as he's now been named. The, on the bench and Ryan Findlay will start in his place so unfortunate for Andy Dalton but certainly I think he'll still have a future in this league as he's certainly not had the best line and he's certainly not had you know many weapons AJ Green being out for most of the season has hampered that offence so whether that will yield any results it looks like a, a 1-2 race for the first overall pick between them and the Dolphins as the season goes 
Broncos have lost Joe Flacco to a neck injury, which looks looks likely certainly will keep him out of the Week 14 clash with your Houston Texans. So something to watch and potentially a break in the schedule uh, for us. The Pats and the 49ers seem to be the respective class of each AFC and, and NFC this year. Um, both teams remain unbeaten. The Pats led by a strong defence, just as the 49ers are. Joey Bosa and that uh, defence uh, led by a number of, you know, Big first round picks to Forrest Buckner, Solomon Thomas, etc., providing a real big backbone for a good running game in the Mike Shanahan scheme. So those both teams look like a, a force to be wet reckoned with this season. Baker Mayfield and a rainy Foxborough managed to put in another classic Baker Mayfield performance and the, the hype leading up to this season of the Browns continues to dissipate as the weeks go by and they can and after a last minute Eddie Pinheiro missed field goal, the Bears continue to lose and the debate rages on whether as the Bears should have taken Mitchell Trubisky over Mahomes and Watson. And that's all we've got time for again on the Turn Up For What podcast. Thanks very much again for Pat Starr for joining us. His input is unrivaled when it comes to your Houston Texans. We'll be attending the Battle Boy and Banker Pub on Saturday as arranged by the Travelling Texans. Big Tom and Pamela do a great job, so please come along and join us. Mark Vandermeer will be there. We'll be there saying hi, hopefully telling people about the podcast and spreading the word. And most of all, looking forward to meeting all the different people and wherever they've travelled from to come and see the Texans on Sunday wearing the red, white and blue. Make sure you make some noise on Sunday. It really does make a difference with the teams on the road and in a different environment. Anything you can do to try and help this team win a much-needed game on Sunday will be well worth it. We can't wait to see you all the turnout for this Houston-Texas team at Wembley on Sunday. Signing off, wherever you're listening from, we are Texans. (laughs) 